All right, so our topic tonight, out of the book of Genesis, still in chapter 2 and 3. We're only in the 21st week or 22nd week or something like that. Uh, so we're going to be looking a little bit out of 2 and 3 and other parts of the Bible, um, but springboarding out of this chapters 2 and 3. The last Adam, and who is the true Son of God? Until let's start in chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So in chapter 2, everything is great, everything is wonderful. God created us, created humankind, created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And thus Adam was charged with having dominion over the world and caring for the world and taking care of it. And him and Eve uh, prospering and filling the world with their offspring. That was the original plan. And uh, the scriptures even refer to him in the book of Luke, chapter 3, in the genealogy of Yeshua, covering some of the main characters. Yeshua began his ministry at the age of 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Hillei, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So who is the original son of God? Adam, right. So he's called the son of God. He came birthed out of God. God breathed into him the breath of life and brought forth life in Adam. And thus he is the original representative of this earth, the son of God for this planet, for this earth. And so everything was wonderful until we get to chapter 3. And Eve gave her husband who was with her, and he ate from the tree that they were told not to eat from, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So Eve was tricked. Eve was deceived by the serpent. But according to this text, Adam was not deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam understood the consequences of his choice and made a conscious, willful choice to disobey God, to choose to side with Satan, and put his wife before God. And thus, for him, comes the greater condemnation. Knowing to do good and not doing it. Willfully choosing to sin. And this led to then surrendering his position over to the one he obeyed, as it tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So Adam surrendered us, surrendered this world, gave it over to the devil, and became slaves to the devil. And thus, all of his offsprings, we have become slaves to the devil. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, various different 
topics and why uh, our natural inclination is to do wrong is because we're born as slaves and we are slaves to that carnal nature until we are liberated and set free. And so then Satan becomes the next son of God. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And in Job chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So he's claiming, I own all the world. I am ruler over this world. I have dominion over this world. I can go anywhere I want. And God says, well, you don't have Job's heart. You don't have his mind. He's not a slave to you. And then that's what the whole book of Job is all about. And so God had this meeting. And the sons of God came before the Lord. And Satan, not Adam, shows up there. Adam's the one who should have showed up there. But this is obviously after the fall. And so Satan shows up there representing the earth. Where have you been? I've been all over the earth. That's my territory. That's my dominion. That is where I rule from. and I am in charge of the earth. And so these various sons of God were no doubt rulers or given dominion over their planet. And some people are shocked to think that there were other planets created before the earth. Right? We think God did nothing for billions and zillions and quadrillion years or for eternity and then decided just 6,000 years ago to create an earth and put humanity on it. Now by this text and in Hebrews chapter 1 it says God created the worlds. God's a creative being and so no doubt he created many others. This is the only fallen one that we know of. The Bible is not the history of God. It's not the history of the universe. It's only the history of this one fallen planet. That's all the Bible is, for the most part, other than a few little texts like this that give us some insight into what else is going on in God's universe. So all these different representatives came, and instead of Adam, Satan comes representing this earth. And Yeshua confirms that. He says in John chapter 14, verse 30, the ruler of this world has nothing in me. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So Satan is the ruler of this world. God is in charge. God is the owner of all things. But he has placed as managers. Originally, Adam was to be the manager of this world. And but Satan stole that away, took that away. Adam gave it away. And Satan became the ruler of this earth, the prince of the power of the air. And thus we are all sons of disobedience. We are all, by nature, children of wrath. And again, we've seen again over the last few weeks, we are not born naturally as children of God. We are born naturally as children of wrath. Born naturally as children of the devil. Born naturally as sons and daughters of disobedience. And that is why it is easier for us to disobey why it is easier for weeds to grow than for good, healthy plants to grow, 
because we are in a fallen planet in a fallen state and in need of redemption. And we all conducted ourselves at one time in our lives that way. We were all sold under sin. All the world needing redemption. All of us needing to be born anew out of the natural state that we were born into. And so God then does provide a solution to this dramatic and horrible and uh, endless problem. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest one will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So Adam was given the original dominion. Adam turned it over to Satan. Satan wasn't willing to turn it over to anyone. God had to come and interpose to take back this planet. And he does it and did it through his son, his only begotten son, who then also comes to take dominion over this world. In chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And in verse 5, the devil took him into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And so as soon as Yeshua was immersed, the Spirit led Yeshua into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was tempted there by the devil. Well, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes with these three main temptations, the one, at least three that are listed in the Bible. And there's many aspects to the temptations, but one main aspect is the temptation to prove that he is the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, do this miracle. If you are the Son of God, manifest the divinity here before me. And that was probably one of the greatest temptations for Yeshua because he's tempted beyond what we would be tempted with. I can't be tempted to, divide, to show divinity flowing through me. I don't have that. But Yeshua could have demonstrated divinity. Sure, I can turn that rock into bread. Watch this. I can do that. I can do another trick. You want to watch that? Watch anything. I can do anything. I created all this stuff. I can do anything. I can jump off and the angels will come and catch me. But if he would have showed his divinity by miraculous signs and wonders, he would have lost the battle. Because he didn't come here to defeat Satan in his divinity. He already did that in heaven. He didn't need to do it again. He needed to do it here in humanity. And that is the key. And that was the real test in the wilderness. Would he be willing and able to overcome the devil's temptations by the word of God and by the spirit of God alone. And he did and was victorious there and continued relying on the power of the Father and on the word of God and the promises of God throughout his life 
and overcame to the end. That is the key in understanding what Yeshua did for us in becoming, as a, a, a phrase that Yeshua used often, the Son of Man, as well as being the Son of God. In Romans chapter 5, a very powerful chapter, we're going to look at several verses, starting in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Messiah died for the ungodly. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is a much more chapter. Chapter 5, Romans 5, it mentions much more over and over again. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God is a much more uh, powerful in overcoming and defeating Satan. And so it describes our condition here, that we were enemies of God, that we were sinners, that we were ungodly, that we were without strength. Does that sound like basically good people? No, and again, as we've discussed in the past, we are not basically good. We're not born basically good. We're not born children of God. Yeshua had to come and four times in this short uh, slide here mentions the death of Messiah to set us free from that condition that we were in. And that he loved us before we loved him. He loved us before we became good. He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us while we hated him. While we were enemies against him. He loved us and died and paid the ultimate price for us. And not just dying for three days. He was willing to stay in the tomb forever if necessary. So that we could live in heaven forever. Paying the ultimate price for us dying the second death for us in our behalf. He demonstrates his love for us, coming to help us in our unlovely state. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So death has reigned through one man. Who was that one man that death reigned from? From Adam. And we all inherited from Adam that same nature of sin. Enough death that he didn't originally had have, but that he chose to have in surrendering and selling himself out to the devil. He was created pure, without spot, very good, and could have, by choice, resisted the devil, but he chose not to, and thus making our resistance impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so death has continued to reign even if we didn't sin exactly like Adam, all have sinned in various different ways. You've broken one sin, you've broken them all. And then he is a type of the one who was to come. So even Adam, in falling, is an example, in some ways, 
of the Messiah. Not as some others, like Abraham was a type of the Messiah, uh, David was a type of the Messiah to come, Moses is a type of the Messiah to come, all of them imperfect, all of them fallen, all of them have made mistakes, but in some ways, shapes, or forms, their lives in various different ways represented the Messiah to come. Adam, in just the opposite, will go 180 degrees from what he did, the Messiah does. And so verse 15, still Romans 5, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Yeshua the Messiah, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from, the me from many offenses resulted in justification. Well, that's a whole mouthful there, right? So let's take this part a little bit, right? So the free gift, right? The free gift that comes from God, that free gift is what? What's God's free gift? Grace, salvation, the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is everlasting life. That's right. So the gift of life is not like the offense. The offense brought about death, right? That one man's offense, that one man being Adam, and that one offense, disobeying. And it's just one offense, that one offense abounded to many, just took one sin to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Because one sin will lead to another, will lead to another, will lead to another. Thus God cannot allow any sin into heaven. We cannot have any known, cherished, rebelliously held on to sin against God in our hearts and minds and still expect to be allowed into heaven. We would destroy the place overnight. That's why the cleansing has to take place here and now. God purifying our hearts, changing us, transforming us here and now. And so the one offense brought about judgment upon all and causing us all to sin and resulting in condemnation of us all. But God much more than takes that condemnation and turns it into justification offered to all. For as the Messiah died for the good people, died for a certain race and only one race, for all the world, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. To all the world was offered this free grace, offered this justification, right? And so condemnation means judgment and destruction. Justification, that that free gift gives us justification, it makes us just as if we never sinned. So while the condemnation counts as a curse of God, God much more overrides that many offenses that we have committed through the one man's act, Yeshua's one act, in bringing justification, making us before God just as if we never sinned. And even more so than just that, he continues on verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Yeshua the Messiah. 
Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. There's a lot of power there. So those who receive the abundance of grace also receive the gift of righteousness. Not only justification, not only just as if we never sinned, but the righteousness to give us the power by God's grace to live right lives. To have life here and forevermore. As through the one man's offense, now the one man's righteous act. What was the one man's righteous act? Death for us. His death, obedient life through his life, and then death for us, counting our sins upon him. And thus that righteous act, that free gift came to all men. So all have been offered the free gift of salvation. All have been offered free gift of forgiveness. It's offered to all. But only those who receive the abundance of grace experience the liberation from sin experience the power of righteousness living in them and through them. So offered to all, given to all, but only accepted by a few. And some are not accepting it because they don't know. And why don't they know? Because we haven't told them. But it's good news. They've already been offered this free gift of salvation. They've already been offered righteousness. They've already been offered all the riches of heaven, freely. Nothing they have to do just to receive and accept. The free gift of the power of the Holy Spirit to come inside them and to live out the righteous life through them, offered to all freely, just for the receiving, just for the accepting, just for the believing. It's there for us all. God's righteous act on our behalf. Romans 5, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So Adam is a foreshadow of Yeshua, but only in the sense of the opposite. In that Adam fell, Yeshua overcame. And the way that Adam fell, Yeshua overcame. And where Adam fell, Yeshua overcomes here on this earth. But even there, much more so than just overcoming as Adam could have overcome, Yeshua did not come as Adam. Created out of the dust, breathed in the breath of life, pure and holy and righteous, never knowing sin, never knowing evil, Yeshua came after 4,000 years of degradation of this planet. Yeshua came after not only being tempted by the devil, but being surrounded with human beings filled with sin, tempting him and harassing him, even in his own household, not understanding him and mistreating him. Yeshua came not out of God's hand only, but came through Mary a sinful human being like all of us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeshua was not created right out of creation on the sixth day. Yeshua came as 
a son of Abraham, a sinner. Yeshua came as the seed of David, a sinner. Yeshua came with a generational curse upon him and took on, us, on himself our nature and our struggles. So how was Adam a type of him who was to come? In being the opposite. In what manner did Yeshua become like Adam? Like Adam before the fall? No. Like Adam after the fall? No, not exactly either. Yeshua was born, born again. He was like Adam after Adam's conversion, after Adam's confession, after Adam's forgiveness, after Adam's transformation. Let's look at some text on this. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14. As the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And in Hebrews 4, verse 15, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he became just like us, partaking of the same. Now Hebrews chapter 1 talks about him and his divinity. But Hebrews chapter 2 talks about him in his humanity. Sharing the same likeness as us. The same flesh as us. The same temptations as we have. Made just like his brethren. Were you made like Adam before the fall? No. We're made like Adam after the fall. But we have the opportunity to be born again. And then be like Yeshua. Yeshua is made a little different than us because he had the lineage through Mary, the human nature, the carnal nature, just as we have the nature of the sons of wrath. But he also had divinity as well. So he had that combination of both, just as we have when we're born anew. Right? When we're born, we have two carnal natures. Our mothers are carnal and our fathers are carnal. Right? Maybe not in your case, but my case, right? <laughs> right? Carnal barons going all the way back to Adam and Eve. But then when we're born anew, we still have that nature that we're born with, but now we have a new nature. And then we are also like Yeshua was. So he came to be tempted in the way that we are tempted. Again, not like Adam was tempted before the fall. Or just a choice, he could have told Satan to go away. He relied on the Father continually throughout his life. Did nothing. We see him doing the miracles, right? He didn't do anything without praying first. He didn't multiply the, 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 the fish and the loaves until he prayed first. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead until he prayed first. Everything dependent on the Father. Everything dependent on God. 
He made himself, he chose to make himself like us to defeat Satan the way that we can defeat Satan as well. And it would have been nothing for him to defeat him in his divinity only. The greater temptation was to defeat Satan in divinity here. But he had to resist using his divinity and only use his humanity coming in the flesh, depending on the Holy Spirit, depending on God, making himself just like us in temptation, sharing the same as we do, that same flesh and blood, partaking of the flesh and blood as we do. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the anti-Messiah, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This is John writing a long time ago. He said the spirit of anti-Messiah was already in the world in his day. Don't be just looking for some bad person in the future. That spirit of the anti-Messiah has been around for a long time. And that spirit of the anti-Messiah denies that Yeshua came in the flesh. Now, I don't know anyone, I'm not talking about just flesh and blood like we have. I don't know of anyone no matter who they are, what religion, whether Buddhist or Jewish or Hindu or atheist or whatever, who, Muslim or whatever, who denies that Yeshua was a person, that he came here and that he lived here in flesh and blood and that he cried and that he sweat and that he, that he bled and that he pooped and that he peed and that he, you know, lived here in the flesh. Yeah, no one denies that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the... the Spirit of anti-Messiah denies that he came here as we are here. That he wasn't born with a halo over his head. That he divested himself of that and came to be tempted in all ways like as we are. To be made like his brothers and sisters. To be made like us. And there are many who don't believe that when you really get down to it. You don't believe that he could have sinned. But if he couldn't have sinned, it's really not a temptation. He was tempted in all ways like as we are. It's not a temptation if you can't fall for it. He came to be our example. I, you know, if I had someone up here, a 250-pound, 20-year-old, bulging with muscles, and he picks up hundreds of pounds and throws it over his head, he throws it down and he says, okay, now, Jeff, you do it. <laughs> yeah, it's not a temptation, right? It's not a reality. It's not going to happen. He's not my example. So because he did, it doesn't mean I can do it. But he'd have to come into my weight class and my age and my bony, uh, you know, flabby uh, environment and then do it and say, I did it. You can do it. Yeshua became like us as a babe born in a sheep pen not riding on horses coming down from heaven. He put himself into a woman and born of a natural birth and not as a king or as a ruler, but a lowly, poor 
family and lived out his life as we live out the life with the same struggles and temptations, with the same feelings that we have, with the same urges that we have, with the same inclinations that we have, with the same cravings that we have, yes, even with the same lusts that we have, yet he never yielded to them. The temptations would come into his mind, but he never accepted them. He rejected them each time by choice and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus he became our example. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, very similar to Hebrews chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Messiah Yeshua who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. So I painted in yellow here where it talks about his divinity and in blue where it talks about his humanity. And just like Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 on his divinity, chapter 2 on his humanity. Here, well, it starts off with, let this mind be in you which was in Messiah Yeshua. So he wants us to have the same mind that he had. He came and took the same flesh that we have and now he's offering to us the same mind that he has. And then it goes on with the yellow who being in the form of God, not robbery to be equal with God, wasn't lying to say he's equal with God from all eternity, equal with the Father, right hand of the Father, self-existent one from all eternity. Wouldn't be robbery to say that. Wouldn't be stealing the title to say that. Fully justified in saying that. But, he made himself of no reputation. So he took all of that, all that glory, all the titles, and he set it aside. Of course, he was still divine, but he did not use that divinity. He set aside all the reputation that he had and did not use it while he was here on earth. I can call down 10,000 angels to deliver me, but if he would have, he would have lost the contest to defeat Satan on this earth. So he set it aside and came in the likeness of men as a man, like unto his brethren, just like you and me. And again, from that other text, it's the spirit of anti-Messiah that denies this. And this is key to understanding and gaining the victory because he is our example. And so if we have the right pattern, we can follow the right example, and we also can be victorious. But if we don't believe that he actually came in the flesh just like us, that he was tempted just like us, that he has the feelings and infirmities like we have, then he's not our example. Then we won't go to him. We won't look to him for an example. We won't have a pattern to obey. All we'll have is the rest of us just fallen humans to look at. And we'll be wandering around like the blind leading the blind with no hope 
in a desolate wilderness world. But no, God did not leave us hopeless. He sent the Messiah who humbled himself, lowered himself, even willing to die the most ignominious death. Because what was the death on the cross? What did that mean? To be hung on a tree, to be hung from wood, what did that mean? What did he become? The cursed. Became the curse of God. Cursed, cut off forever, for eternity. And that, again, is how far he was willing to go for us. But it was the love of the Father and the divine miracle of the Father that raised him from the dead. He was willing to go all the way, if necessary, for us. To pay the ultimate price for us. Lowering himself to the basest of criminals, taking the sins of the world upon himself. And living as we are. And struggling as we do, but overcoming thus able to be our example, so that we can overcome as he overcame. How can we fulfill that commandment? If he didn't become like us, how can we overcame as he overcame? But we can because he became like us. And we have the same tools available to us as he did. We have the Holy Spirit available to us just as he did. And thus, we can overcome as he overcame. He is our example. He lived for us. And then he was raised back up and highly exalted again, back up to the right hand of the Father, and sits there in his divinity once again. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Messiah the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Messiahs at his coming. So 1 Corinthians 15, very similar to Romans chapter 5, using this analogy of Adam foreshadowing the Messiah, but in an opposite way. Right? Verse 21, by man came death. That man came death? Adam, right? Just like we saw in Romans 5. But by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By which man is that? Yeshua the Messiah, right? But he became as man again, claiming the title Son of Man. And as Adam all die, so in Messiah all shall be made alive, all who accept him. The Messiah, the first fruits, those who are Messiahs, will receive that everlasting life at his coming. So just as sin and death reigned and death, eternal death reigned, surely you will die to all men through the Messiah's sacrifice. Everlasting life is offered to all. Still 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So the first man, Adam, the last, Adam. Right, so we have the first Adam and the last Adam analogy. The Adam who failed and Yeshua who overcame as our example. And we also can be like him. And as and there at the end there, verse 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Again, what image did we come in? Adam before the fall or Adam after the fall? After the fall. Sinners without strength. Children of disobedience. Children of wrath. Not sons of God. Not basically good. But we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man as we accept him. Being recreated into the image of God. God created Adam and Eve in his image. But then we were born in the image of Satan because Adam sold us out. But then because of the Messiah's work. He is recreating us as we are born anew. All things have changed. All the past is gone. All things are made new. He now recreates us day by day, moment by moment, into his image, the image of God, letting this mind be in us that was in the Messiah, allowing his finger to write his laws into our minds and into our hearts and transforming us by his grace and by his power. And that is God's ultimate goal, to make us back into his image, back to his original plan. He hasn't given up on his original plan. He's working and continued works towards that goal. So Galatians 3, 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Messiah. All right, so, so he is making us sons and daughters of God through faith in Messiah, not through birth, but through faith in Messiah, from being born again, calling us children of God, making us children of God, elevating us, lifting us, to that position with him and making us heirs with him, joint heirs with the Messiah. It doesn't get any better than that. He became joint heirs in our humanity and now he makes us joint heirs in his inheritance. He's inherited all things. All things are given unto him. He has defeated Satan. He gained back this world and he sits at the right father and all of the universe is at his survey and he has made us joint heirs, equal co-partners with him. The meek shall inherit the earth. Right? And the Holy Spirit, right? So we inherit the Holy Spirit. We inherit the power of God. The glory of God. The everlasting life that he gives to us. That's the inheritance that we have. That is a glorious inheritance. That is the highest calling that we could possibly have. And that's what God had originally wanted for Adam and Eve and all of their offspring. But he hasn't given up and he's working towards that and he's working in the hearts and minds of the children of God who surrendered their lives to him. And he's working upon the hearts and minds who have not yet known him and have not yet surrendered and drawing them. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. He's drawing and drawing and drawing. Now some and most will reject and resist. But his drawing power is there. The offer is there. The spirit is pulling 
and drawing them and convicting them. And God wants to use us in telling them and helping them along the way. The choice is ours. He has made us sons and daughters with him. To live for him. To be his living representation here on this earth. There was a young boy, Ben, born in 1870. Born to a servant from an illegitimate relationship or an illegitimate act. And back in that day, unheard of. So the mother was shunned and the child with her. And so the mother was raising him by herself in a small little town. And everywhere they went, he could hear the whispers. Whose boy do you think he is? So growing up under that stigma, going to school, having to spend recess by himself and eat lunches by himself, taunted by the other kids, going to the store with his mother and hearing people a couple aisles over whispering just a soft enough tone that could be heard three blocks away Have you ever figured out who his papa is? And then one day he heard there was a new minister in town and people were talking about him. So he wanted to go check it out for himself. So he slipped into services long after they had started so that no one would see him and no one would turn around and talk about him again. So he sat there in the back, huddled down, full intention of slipping out as soon as it got towards the end so no one would see him. But as he listened to the minister, he just was spellbound with the message of God's word. And before he realized it, the service was over and everyone was standing up and they were blocking the way and the minister walked to the back and, and he couldn't get out and he couldn't rush out and trying to make his way out. And the minister saw him and shook his hand and said in a loud, booming voice, Hello there, young man. Whose boy are you? And even though there was a lot of chatter going on in the sanctuary, people saying goodbye to each other, everyone got quiet. Everyone turned around to see, and as every eye was on this young boy, with the anticipation, we're finally going to have to, we're finally going to get to hear. He's not going to lie to the minister. We're going to know. And before the boy could even say anything, the minister continued on, I can tell whose boy you are. The resemblance is unmistakable. You, young man, are a son of God. And he pat him on the back and said, that's a high calling to live up to. Live up to it. 
That man became governor of Tennessee. Not right then and there, but it changed his life. God wants to make each one of us sons and daughters of him. He's offered, he's paid the price, it's there for us. All of us are born as illegitimate children, sold out to the devil, born in sin, but God adopts us back. And he came and fought the devil to win us back, to win back this world, to defeat Satan on his turf. He beat him on his turf in heaven, and now he came to beat Satan on Satan's turf here on earth. And he is and was victorious and has won the battle for us. And now the war he's winning in our lives, day by day, moment by moment, as we accept his love and accept his power in our lives. Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. God doesn't make us children of God just for the here and after, not just to inherit the glories of heaven, the streets of gold and the tree of life and the mansions he's prepared for us. He's made us children of God here and now transforming us, changing us, so that we don't have to rebelliously continue in willful known sin. But that through choice and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become blameless, harmless, without fault, here and now in this crooked, dark world, shining as lights for God and warning the world. And the world sees that lived out in us. The gospel will spread very quickly. That is what God is waiting on. He's waiting for a demonstration of his love to be manifested in our, li- in our lives. For his righteousness to be demonstrated in the world. That's what people are wanting to see. They're wanting to see it lived out. They're wanting to see it demonstrated. But if we believe that we don't have an example, we believe that, that the Lord came as just divine and that he cannot relate to us and we cannot relate to him and then he just went back away and we're left without hope and the best we can do is be forgiven and just continue to sin and continue to ask forgiveness and continue to sin and continue to ask forgiveness. Well, there's not much a drawing attraction to that. And there's no power there. That's not a very mighty God if all he can do is forgive you but can't change you. But the power of God, the gospel of God is that he is able to forgive and to transform, and to change, and to renew, make all things new, making us children of God, blameless, harmless, without fault, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of the struggles, all the way to the end, a bride without spot, without wrinkle, victorious. To him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, seven times in Revelation, to him that overcometh shall sit. To him that overcometh will receive the new name. To him that overcometh will shine as brightness, stars in the brightness of the firmament, overcoming as he overcame, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, of what God has done in us. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Very powerful text. In the here and now, we get to be partakers of the divine nature, making us just as Yeshua was. Divine and human. And he calls us, that doesn't make us God, <laughs> but partaking of the divine nature, filled with his Holy Spirit, just as a hand in a glove does not make the glove a hand, but gives the glove the ability to do all that the hand can do. Filled with the Holy Spirit, by God's power, we can do all that he called us to do. And Yeshua said, you'll do even greater things than these. Overcoming and rebuking the devil, claiming the victory of God and experiencing the promises of God, partaking of the divine nature here and now as children of God, victorious in Him, holy in Him, making right choices for Him and living righteous lives by His grace, not getting any glory for us because there's nothing in us. Without Him, we can do nothing. But through Him, we can do everything, all things. That's right. That's the key. It's through him and us. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. He gets the praise. And that divine power will give us the ability to resist temptation and to walk in God's love and to love our neighbors and to love our enemies and to overcome the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You have no right here. You have no foothold here. Our sins have been washed and cleansed through the blood of the Lamb. All things made new in him, by him, and through him. And so as we prepare to pray, if there's any sin in your life, if you haven't accepted the Messiah for cleansing, if you haven't accepted his gift of salvation, if you haven't accepted his free gift of love, if you haven't accepted his free, self, his free forgiveness, if you haven't received that gift, then a moment when we pray, he's already paid the price for you. He's giving it to you. Nothing you can do to earn it. Just accept it. Thank him for it. If you've never done that in a moment when we pray, I encourage you to do so. Thank him for that forgiveness. Thank him for loving you. Thank him for giving himself for you. Thank him for taking your sins and bearing them upon himself. Thank him for, for removing them from you. Secondly, if maybe you've done that, but you haven't accepted the second part of his salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit to live in you, to give you the power to walk in newness of life, to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness, the power of the Holy Spirit to have victory over temptation and over habits and over sin, to give you the ability to forgive those who hurt you, to give you the ability to love, truly love, and a moment when we pray, accept the power of the Holy Spirit. Accept his divine nature to live in you and out of you. 
Third, if there's people that you know that don't know the great love that God has for them, that don't know the free gift that has been offered to them, that they're still just struggling in the carnal nature as sons of disobedience. God is calling you, God is calling me to share his truth, God's truth, God's love with others. And so in a moment when we pray, you can ask God to go before you to soften their heart, to open the door, to open the conversation, to open a way that you can demonstrate love and receive the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. Fourth, if you want to grab a hold of the title and the privilege and the inheritance, we receive the inheritance when someone dies, the Messiah already died. That inheritance is already ours. If you want to grab a hold of that inheritance, that joint heir with the Messiah, the power to be victorious over the devil, to claim the title as a child of God, a son and daughter of God, having dominion over this world, having dominion over Satan and his evil angels, having dominion over the carnal nature and the struggles and the carnal inclinations and desires and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Claim dominion over it through the power of God. Or maybe there's some other area that God spoke to your heart and mind as we looked at these Bible texts. Whatever it is, God is working in your heart and mind. Allow him to do his work. Let us pray and surrender our lives to him. Thank you, Lord God, for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for coming to us first. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for loving us in our corrupt and carnal state, despicable state of wickedness and without strength and enemies of you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to redeem this world and to fight back and to take back what Adam gave away. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for buying us. Thank you for freeing us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for living in us. Come inside us, Holy Spirit, and live in us and out of us and through us. Let your light shine out of this flesh that the world might see you in us. And win souls for your kingdom in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.